Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Whether you need a landing page, a beautiful gallery, a professional blog, or an online store, it is all included with your Squarespace website. Start your free trial today at squarespace.com. Use the offer code CANADALAND. You'll get 10% off. Supriya Devetti. Yeah. Vicky Machama. Hi. Co-hosts of Canada Land Commons. Dream Team. What up? Yeah. Okay, I dread where we're going today, so let's start as light as possible, I guess, with this Michelle Rempel fight with Mark Critch of This Hour Has 22 Minutes. Yeah, sure, that's light. Uh, a bunch of Twitter trolls uh, condemning a woman who may or may not have PTSD. It is as light as we're going to get today. Yeah. Uh, we're also going to talk about this atrocious study that basically suggested that every mosque in Canada is a hotbed of terrorism and how the media covered that study. And we are going to talk, God help us, about the media in Canada and Israel. Welcome to Canada Land Shortcuts. It's going to be a nightmare. This episode is brought to you by Douglas Denny, Chris Adams, Bridget Vanderknapp, Karen Zurich, Lisa Gunter, Melanie Baker, Jeremy Janak, and Joe Organ. Joe, why did you decide to be awesome? Because Canadians tend to resent pushy, loud, obnoxious people. But in media, provocation is a byproduct of sound critique. The more funding Canada Land receives, the more it will be able to afford to do the research that will substantiate that important critique. And Vicky and Supriya, this episode is also brought to you by Squarespace. Yeah, I don't have a website. I need a website, actually. You need a website? Yeah. People look up you. I, they I, look I, you up. I, I, they look up you. They need to find a website. That's Yeah, you don't want to say that first, <laughs> that first way. No, I would recommend Squarespace yeah. for, for your website needs, Supriya. You know, I've, I've, I always hear you talk about Squarespace, and I'm always like, I should do it. And you claim it's easy, because I'm pretty technologically... I don't know, challenged, I guess. This is what, what is very fun about Squarespace is like you've got this lingering thing, this nagging, I need a website. If you go there for free without giving them a credit card, you just pick a template. Yeah. And they're beautiful. Like the, like the photos just beautifully laid out and it, it adapts to whatever device people are looking at on. And you can just start plugging in like, oh, let's replace that photo with a photo of me. Let's replace that text with a text about what I do. And you'll find yourself with your own website before you've even ordered a website. Go now to squarespace.com. Use their beautiful templates. You'll get a free custom domain, seamless commerce tools when you start to sell your Supriya Devetti merchandise. There you go. And 24-7 customer support. Start your free trial today at squarespace.com. Enter the offer code CanadaLand and you will get 10% off of your first purchase. This episode is brought to you by AG1. Listen, taking care of your health is not always easy, but it should at least be simple. That is why for months now, I start every day by drinking AG1. I take a scoop of this green powder, I mix it in a canister with water, shake it up, and I drink it. I get hydrated and I get energized and focused and ready to take on the day knowing that I have vitamins minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. These are things that science tells us we need. They are also things that I don't necessarily get every day outside of my AG1. Listen, if there's one product that I'm going to recommend that will help you elevate your health, 
it's AG1. And that is why I have been partnered up with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try it now and you'll get a free welcome kit that includes a shaker bottle, canister, a metal scoop, along with five free travel packs. You'll get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3 and K2 along with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash CanadaLand. That is drinkag1.com slash CanadaLand. Check it out. Let's move on. Uh, Mark Critch posted a picture of himself mocking Stephen Harper for being in a closet on the day of the Parliament Hill gun attack. And Michelle Rampel went bananas. Hmm. I wouldn't put it that way, but... Also, it's Michelle Rempel, no? Yeah, that's how you say her Michelle name. Michelle Rempel. It's like he's trying to do a... Anyhow. No, I don't know that she went bananas. I think that's a pretty gross way to put it. And I don't really challenge anything she said in criticism of Mark Critch, the somewhat inane, sort of gelded clown of this hour has 22 minutes. I'm not a fan of him as a comedian. I've never found him his comedy to have much bite. I find him to be kind of silly. And I don't think it was a good joke. It was an Instagram picture of him cowering in a closet saying, Stephen Harper stepped down. Here I am in, in his closet. But uh, the response I took issue with by Michelle Rempel on Twitter. Is there a particular thing? Because there was actually like a chain of tweets. So you couldn't really have taken issue with her being like, you're fucking embarrassment. What was the thing you took an issue with? Because also, let's just point out that, of course, to give listeners context, which I'm, I'm sure they remember, but this is because when the Parliament Hill attack happened, the RCMP, as the RCMP's job is to do, protected the prime minister and led him to a closet mm-hmm. for his safety. So I think it's not a funny joke that Critch made, and it's not like, in good taste, and I totally get that. I mean, he's not the first to make that joke. Yeah, no, he's not. That, like, and he likely won't be the last either. No, I mean, like, okay, it, it gets gets out that the prime minister was huddled into a closet during an attack. I don't care what country you're in. Like that is going to be satirized. Rick Mercer satirized. There there have been tons of jokes about that. None of them particularly good or edifying. And I I understand the criticism of that joke from people who are not there. Mm -hmm. Just like that's a lame, cheap shot. And yes, we want the RCMP to protect the prime minister. And it's not really his choice of how he's protected. I I get all of that. And I think we haven't really fully described Michelle Rempel's response. Just to summarize her, she said, I don't really have words to express my disgust with this. What you posted isn't satire or comedy. It's a fucking embarrassment. Thanks for triggering me, asshole. And in her other tweets, basically described like, I hope this never happens to you, Critch. I hope you never are... Huddled over and wondering whether your colleagues and friends are being gunned down. Yeah. And she described that like she suffers from PTSD when she hears gunshots in a movie theater, like it brings it back. And now he's brought it back with his dumbass joke. I feel like that was genuine. I don't think that she was performing that response. I think that was a genuine human response. And I have a lot of empathy for that response. And can I just say, I feel like politicians don't have enough of those actual human responses. Like, I feel like most politicians are so scripted. I am a big fan of Michelle Rempel for that exact reason, because I find she does go to Twitter to speak her her mind and be rather unfiltered. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's so many who were there on that day and we really still don't know the emotional fallout of it. And I think people would really like to know what that experience is of like, what is the emotional experience of being at your workplace and that happens? And I think that's something people can relate to and it's a very human interaction to have had with your politicians and you know we don't really get that totally and i liked it when she took to twitter around the conservative leadership question saying are you guys ready for somebody like i was disappointed that she didn't throw her hat into the ring so why did i have a problem with this i think that if this were just an exchange between a person who was there Mm -hmm. who has every right to their opinion their response and is making a very good case and a comedian who has offended them then that is a perfectly legitimate conversation to have and, and you can have it in public. I mean, she didn't have to have it in public. They follow each other on Twitter. 
She could have had a private conversation with him. He posted his picture on Instagram. She could have responded to it there. So I think that she very intentionally was like, I'm going to name this guy. I'm going to shame him. But why is that wrong, though? Because what it is, is a member of parliament. This is not a person like you or me. Right. Okay. She's not just a citizen in the public discourse. She is much more powerful than we are. She is. Well, I don't know about that. No, she actually (laughs) technically (laughs) is. Yes, yes, yes. I kid, I kid. And she is taking to a public forum to basically say what you did is off limits. It's not satire. It's not comedy. So I didn't take uh, it to be that literal, though. But that's not what she's saying. She isn't like saying like what she said. She describes what it isn't to her and what it is. She's only speaking from her position as a human being. The entire time, it's about her personal experience. No, she's speaking from Michelle Rempel MP, which is the title of her Twitter account. But she is describing her personal experience that whole time. She's like, like you've triggered me. She's not triggered. There's no like point at which she's like triggered as an MP versus triggered as a human being. She's describing her personal experience of it. She says. Me as a person, I don't think that's funny. And do you feel like this is sort of an overstep as just her as a politician? So you think this is like an edict on all politicians condemning comedians and what they can or cannot joke about sort of thing? Nothing intentional, right? Right. But just by virtue of who she is, of her job as an MP, I think every comedian in the country was like, oh, shit, this is now a thing that can happen. If my comedy offends a member of parliament. I might be called a disgusting asshole. So what? So I, what? I call people disgusting assholes all the time. Like freedom of speech doesn't mean freedom from the consequences of speech. Other people will interact with the thing you say. Yeah, I know that. But look, there's a deeper context for this, okay? Sure. And Paul Wells of, of Toronto Star responded to say like, oh, what's the big deal? When we wrote a story that was uh, a journalistic piece that was criticizing Quebec as being the most corrupt province in the country, which kind of is. In Parliament, there was a motion to censure McLean's. That doesn't happen in other countries, okay? And he says, oh, I just took that as lame. I thought that was just a lame gesture. I'm like, it's- When, when, when Parliament censured McLean's? McLean's. So here's a journalist rolling his eyes and shrugging off Parliament, passing a motion against a magazine for doing journalism, But those okay? aren't the same thing, though. They're not the same thing. But the response is telling to me, it's not lame. It's the opposite of lame. It is power. It's not just a public conversation when an elected official comes down on you like that. There will be repercussions for Mark Critch's career. There are repercussions, a chill factor on other comedians. You can't separate her power as an MP from just her voice as a person in the conversation. I don't disagree with the feeling that you have behind. I just think Michelle Rempel's tweet isn't the right example. I, I think more what you're getting at is kind of like Mike Ward in Quebec, who's a comic who has been penalized by the Human Rights Tribunal there because he made a joke that offended someone and then the Human Rights Tribunal, you know, and so like there's a legitimate chill factor there, I think, because then comedians are like, holy fuck, can I make a joke or am I going to be penalized by the Human Rights Tribunal and, and have to pay a fine? So that I think is legitimate. Michelle Rempel tweeting offhand about a joke that Mark Critch made, which I think we can all agree was in poor taste. And he obviously took the Instagram picture down, so he must have realized or didn't like the backlash oh, or, or whatever. he's cowering in the corner. The he's not cowering right in the corner. And the CBC wrote that he said that they called and they spoke to each other and she apologized for her reaction. She didn't. She but, later contradicted that. So he, then he, it's like, then it, I don't know, then it's again two people just being catty at each other on Twitter. No way. That's it right there. He's just this like lame comic, right? But he's a lame and comic no, with the no. CBC platform. Like and if you're talking like, about people with yeah, power well, in our he, country, if he represents one estate and she represents another, these are two people playing at the same level. No, they're not. He, I think what he showed was exactly how cowed and overwhelmed he was by her. He immediately... <laughs> cowed and overwhelmed. Oh, he was. He pulled the picture. He was very quick to say, it's it's cool. We're cool. We talked on the phone. She apologized. I apologized. We're cool. And Rempel said, I didn't apologize to him for what I said. 
So he wants it all to go away. The lesson was very clear to him. Shut up. Don't joke about that. He took that lesson and other com- comics took it too. But you said Rick Mercer already joked about it. I don't remember. I don't really... Well, I'm isn't not... it interesting that you yeah. didn't go after Rick, Rick Mercer or well, the other people joke. who joked about it? I don't know. It was a Rick Mercer joke. There's a good the... way to make a joke and there's a bad way to make no, a joke. Like I... there are good rape jokes and there are bad rape jokes. There's a good way to make that Stephen Harper in a closet joke. Right. Other people have done it and done it better, myself included. And it's like, if you do a bad version of a joke and someone calls you out on it and you back down off it, that kind of makes you the better person. If you back down off a bad joke, yes, you should. That's how comedy works. And I would suggest that it's no accident that she went after, like, that is a very weak opponent. And with the full moral righteous indignation that she had. You think Mark Critch is a weak opponent? A guy who's a long-standing CBC comedian. Like, I think that he... He's not like some up-and-comer going on, like, behind a brick wall going like, well, so ladies what's the deal with periods? oh yeah he's on the vanguard of edgy free speech no I'm who, not who, saying, who, who can, but we're saying precisely no. because he's so soft he in middle of the road this, like, he works for an organization that pays very close attention sure. to what members of parliament say about their content yeah because the, i mean their funding is dependent more or less on you don't it. think yeah. he was hauled into an office to talk about how he handles his social media in the future Probably, but shouldn't we all sort of be hauled into offices to talk about how we deal with our social media in the future? No, comics have to be free to make bad jokes that fail. But they also have to be able to be held accountable to bad jokes that are bad. Canadian Muslim leaders are disputing a study that we talked about earlier on in the week that says several mosques and Islamic schools are endangering young people with extremist teachings. So, Vice did good work of disassembling this study. Not an academic study. You should use study with air quotes. Yeah. So what the co-authors of this study did was, uh, according to Vice, they crept into mosques and took photos of bookshelves. The report was called The Lovers of Death? Question mark. And according to Stephen Maurice of the Canadian Press, who published a news story about the study, the fieldwork for the study involved visits to four mosques and three Islamic schools in the Ottawa area. So essentially these researchers went into four mosques and three Islamic schools and took pictures of what kind of books they had there. And they found some things that they considered to be extremist books and also wrote about the apparent emotional state of the people in these mosques. Many of those present during the visits to the libraries seemed sullen and sometimes angry. They wrote in the study, the traditional greetings of friendship were absent. This is consistent with the increasing general angriness of Islamist extremist views being advanced in some local mosques. By any estimation, this was an atrocious piece of research. Assistant professor named Stephanie Carvin called the co-authors of the study, two guys in a basement reading Breitbart. (laughs) And it feels like it was cooked to basically paint every mosque as being a hotbed of extremist teachings and sentiment. The study was picked up by the Canadian press. The headline read, Extremist literature common in many mosques and Islamic school libraries in Canada, comma, study says. (laughs) It gets worse. The Toronto Star picks up this story. And what photo do they run with it? And of course, the Toronto Star, you know, they don't pick their own photos anymore. They like outsource it to page masters who picks the photo that runs with it. So they, in Kathy English's apology, she like, Kind of throws page masters a bit <laughs> under the bus. Okay, so the photo that runs with this story was of a mosque called the Baitul Islam Mosque, which happens to be the Canadian headquarters of the Ahmadiyya Muslim Jama, an international Muslim community known worldwide for its motto, love for all, hatred for none. <laughs> so, and this mosque, of course, was not one of the four mosques visited by these quote unquote researchers. 
So a specific mosque is in the Toronto Star as this hotbed of extremist literature and sentiment. Yeah, no, this is Canadian media at its absolute worst. This wasn't even a real study. It wasn't peer-reviewed. It wasn't in an academic journal. It was self-published by Second Star Publishing. Vice obtained the study for paying $7. Um, that's not exactly the cost of a you know an, an academic piece by, by any means. No. And I think Professor Carvin is absolutely right to refer to it as two guys in a basement reading Breitbart. To go around and to demonize an entire community that is, by the way, already vilified, not only in the press, but you know rates of Islamophobia are increasing in Canada from province to province. This is really dangerous. This is really dangerous stuff. And I think we have to be constantly questioning our media when it comes to stories like this. It's a story that you saw in the United States for quite a long time. And you see a lot now in Britain, it's like notion that there's creeping Sharia or there's creeping Islamic extremism. It's in little stories like this where these stories get told. And then you see much more violent outbursts at people who are Muslim. And you know, some little community is told they get, you know, they pick up their Toronto Star and they're told like, oh, well, Muslim people, are, when they go to their mosques, are reading violent literature. And so when they feel hurt or damaged by something that happens far overseas, who do they look to attack? And it's like, that's the way that this is an extremely violent piece of reporting. I think that it's, it's worth kind of digging down on like, OK, so you say this is Canadian media at its very worst. I won't argue with that. I'm going to have a generous interpretation, which is that I don't think this is a reflection of the virulent racism of all of the different organizations involved. I actually don't. I think that this is the Canadian media failing at all these different juncture points where they are now vulnerable to things like this. Okay, you've got like the kind of cooked story where you just take a report like, OK, here's a free story for us. Somebody else released a report. They've written up a press release with the findings. That's easy copy. And it's uh, interesting. It sounds interesting that, that this came out. We won't dig too much into the validity of this report, the veracity, whether or not it's a sound report, because now we have the cover of just like we're not the ones saying it. We're just reporting on a report. Then there's picking up the wire story uncritically. And then there's the thoughtless juxtaposition of the imagery, the use of stock photos at the core of this. The authors of this report had an agenda, obviously, mm -hmm. and that agenda is able to creep into newspapers around the country because no one is guarding. The media is so vulnerable to the many, many special interests that want to get their agenda-driven stuff into the press. No one is guarding, and apparently through this whole process, no one is Muslim. So nobody is there to say, like, why are we picking this mosque? Why are we picking up this story? Why are we printing this in the Toronto Star of all places where there is a gigantic Muslim community? So nobody involved in the process is able to say in the city. And this the is not yeah. this is not an accurate representation of what life is like in a mosque. Well, and the other thing and I'll, I'll push back on your comment about whether or not this re represents virulent racism, Jesse, is that replace mosques with mandirs, which are Hindu temples and saying that increasingly there are four or five Hindu temples in the Ottawa GTA and Montreal region that are increasingly espousing Hindu nationalist values and that are increasingly being hostile to Muslims, to lower castes within Hinduism. I don't think that story would have been picked up uncritically, regardless of the fact that India right now does have a Hindu national government and there are have been multiple lynchings against Muslim men who have been accused of eating beef, of all things, because, of course, do Hindus, cows are sacred. So there is an uptick in Hindu nationalist sentiment. And yet, if there was this exact same sort of study replacing the word Hindu with Muslim or any religion, Jewish, you can throw in Christianity in there. Um, I just think when it has to do with mosques and it has to do with Islam and it has to do, people are just so 
quick to turn it out because there are going to be those page views and there are going to be, you know, sharing of the story and, yeah. and, and it will get picked up by right wing talk radio and yeah. it will get yeah. picked up by other right wing columnists and then they can just go, see, see, this is why Justin Trudeau is bad for the country. This is why these refugees being let in are, are all secret and they're going to these mosques and homegrown radicals and ISIS and Syria. And even the, if this piece of research had been done well with no racist intentions, if it was just about like, let's look at, you know, what happens in a mosque. It's interesting to me that the Canadian press had a security reporter cover this. So they are already making a connection for other people, which is to say that they're already making that terrorism yeah, they, they for defended people. The piece they're, on not that talking, basis. they're not talking about, you know, let's talk about the culture of Canadian mosques. There'll be like a life and culture section of any other newspaper. But for some reason, because this is mosques, it's in a security section. Yeah. It's like if you sent a financial analyst to go look at synagogues, you've already yeah. kind of baked your prejudice <laughs> into the right. Like it's like it's right in there, and you're like, oh, we're not being racist. It's like, well, you kind of are. Yeah, you're both right. I mean, it's it's kind of like you're shuffling through the press releases and figuring which one makes a good wire story. The one that's about the mosque is going to. Does that mean that you're a virulent racist, or does it just mean that there's some sort of like? I mean, it's sort of a mixture of like it's a reflection of of institutional and systemic and, and societal racism. Which is like, what's going to make a good story? Yeah. What's consistent with narratives that are out there? It doesn't mean that that person who like everyone's so hung up on like are we calling a person a racist you know I, th- I think it's just more this was the reason why this played has to do with a larger cloud of racism over this country in which narratives are attractive and yet Stephen Maurice runs Canadian press stands by the story ish and this is an interesting thing where like there's a certain kind of journalist who like when they're challenged on a story falls back on like well technically we reported on the existence of a report the report exists. We summarized the report accurately. We had somebody on the story who knows about security. The thing we could have done differently, he said, is we put out the word to get the other side of the story to a couple of Muslim groups, and they didn't get back to us by our afternoon deadline. So we did a follow-up story. But in hindsight, we should have waited. That's another one of the vulnerabilities that I think was exposed here, because this is not a time-sensitive story. We need to tell Canada about this report today, or maybe you just needed some copy for today. Maybe that's why this was rushed. People already don't really like the media and journalists, and there's reasons why, because y'all are a bunch of dicks, uh, for the most part. Insufferable. Uh, yeah. insufferable. <laughs> yeah, also insufferable. <laughs> Do you not count yourself among us at this point? No. All right. I'm an opinionator. Um, <laughs> They're never dicks, yeah, right? Yeah, no, no, no. We're lovely people. And so you're just increasing a divide and a chasm that already exists. And if you want to talk about demonizing an entire groups and, and promoting ghettoization, this is the kind of thing that does it, is by painting all mosques and by promoting bullshit studies that can be debunked by a quick Google search. I mean, these two guys who wrote the study say that they're terror experts because they fucking testified at the Bill C-51 hearing. How many people testified? Like a gajillion? You know, I believe the correct answer is a gajillion. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And yeah. one of them being Tarek Fatah, who, by the way, is as a writer for the Toronto Sun, accused Huma Abedin, who's a Clinton aide, of trying to infiltrate the White House with the Muslim Brotherhood. Why? Because she has a distant relative who is Saudi Arabian. I knew we were going to somehow connect this to Wiener. No, let's move on. Yeah. <laughs> has anyone something to note? Duly. I generally hate it when Canadian politicians try to opine on things that they know nothing about. Now, I double hate it when they're unelected and unaccountable. So when Senator Leo Hosakis, who is a Quebec senator, decided he was going to call out Colin Kaepernick, who is the 49ers quarterback, who is right now sitting during the national anthem because he doesn't feel that he wants to stand and rise for the flag in the country that he feels oppresses people of color. So he tweeted out, and what is he doing other than pouting to help bring about change? Question mark. That's what I thought. Period. 
stay in your own fucking lane. You don't know what it's like to be black in the U.S. I doubt he even looked up the story. We spent this whole summer talking about the life of Muhammad Ali, which was completely whitewashed, by the way. Nobody really spoke about his his activism throughout all of the you know celebrations of his life. So it just seems completely disingenuous to me. And it's just the perfect example of like white Canadian privilege, not knowing anything, but still being like, but I have something to say. I am going to resist the urge to connect this to the Michelle Rempel, Mark Critch conversation and simply say, duly noted. <laughs> Vicky? So what I noted was a slightly more positive story that I just kind of appreciated. Tara Bradbury wrote an article for the Telegram, which is a paper out of St. John's, and she got so much hate for covering this event. It was just, you know, some sort of feminist event thing. And she just got garbage that you get from, you know, sad, angry men on the internet. And it was awful. And so she wrote an op-ed saying like, all I did was do my job. I'm an arts and culture reporter. I went and covered this arts and culture event. I wrote about it. I didn't really opine too much about it, but like I just did my job. And this is the volume of stuff I'm getting and I'm having to block endless people. And normally that's usually just where it ends. But what I noted was that the Telegram then devoted a cover to this particular thing. And the headline was, this is not okay. And the managing editor of the Telegram wrote a piece saying, this isn't okay. And he's like, I could print pages of this newspaper of just garbage things people have said to her. They took these horrible sexist comments and, and they put them put, on the cover. They put them on the cover of the newspaper. huge font. And then, it, and then it said, this is not okay. Yeah. It was pretty badass. I thought it was pretty badass. And it was incredible just to see the organization go to bat for her. I think in this room, at least we all know lots of female journalists who get such garbage on Twitter and in their emails and they just have to, you know, fight through it to be able to do their job. And you don't often hear their bosses really stepping up to the plate for them. And it's like, that's what, you know, I would like to note is that a white guy with no real reason to decided that his whole organization would step up for a female member of staff. Duly noted. I'm going to just quickly... Note this this crazy story where a Chinese TV host is accusing Canada's government through its tourism body of pressuring his media organization to remove a documentary about Canada's First Nations and the human rights abuses therein, okay? On Friday, a weekly Chinese talk show was set to air an episode including an interview with a Canadian First Nations chief, which touched upon Canada's human rights record. But the program was pulled after officials with Destination Canada, which used to be the Canadian Tourism Commission, acted in, according to the host, an arrogant and powerful manner threatening to use legal, diplomatic, and political means to halt its broadcast. In response, Destination Canada said, well, we're trying to promote tourism in Canada. <laughs> So we want all the programs to be a bit tourism focused. And that's our main concern. This sort of suggests a dark dystopic future for communications. Where <laughs> when are you ever not imagining a dark dystopic future? <laughs> the way that things get worked out is our government PR agency calls your state supported media and basically threatens like, if you don't pull this story about our shitty human rights record, I don't know, uh, we'll, we'll like make our negotiations with you about canola oil. Like it becomes just like our government versus your government. I'm like, when you've got a representative of the Chinese media lecturing you about media freedom. Yeah, but that's the thing though. That's so like, I, I agree. This story is absolutely bananas and it's so ridiculous to think that they would have had it pulled because it paints Canada in a bad light, which it well should because our human rights abuses against our indigenous peoples is fucking shameful and abysmal. But I find it a little bit rich to have 
a Chinese presenter say this in a way of like, oh, censorship, because like your literal whole shtick is censorship. Oh, yeah, because their entire media is directly under the wing of the government, is yeah. censored, their entire internet is censored, but the guy's right. Yeah, he is the right. The government of yeah. Canada should yeah. not be calling him up and saying, don't expose the problems that we have here with the way that we treat First Nations in Canada. When China's right- It's a, it's a day for all of us to hang our head and say, my About saying. media yeah. freedom? Yeah. It's a beautiful play where this guy- to get China and Canada to fight each other on two things they don't want to argue about. I love it. Duly noted. All right, God help us. Here we go. This is folly. I'm going to try to contain this somehow. Okay. And we'll see how well that goes. Let's start with just some facts, okay? Here's some facts about the Canadian media and Israel and BDS and the Green Party. It is a fact that... The Vancouver Sun, a post-media newspaper, published an op-ed demanding that the Green Party reverse its position in support of sanctioning Israel BDS, this movement to boycott Israel, demanding that if they want to be legitimate, they've got to reverse themselves because, of course, the Green Party voted a democratic institution, a party, a federal party in Canada voted to support BDS. Not an official party, though. Not an official party, but a federal party with a member of parliament, mm -hmm. voted to support BDS. And the Vancouver Sun had an op-ed, unsurprisingly, saying what many have said, which is that this is just making the Green Party totally irrelevant, and they've got to drop this now. But in that, called the group Independent Jewish Voices, an anti-Israel group that uses the fig leaf of Jewishness to lend support to Iran, deny the Holocaust, participate in anti-Semitic Al-Quds protests, encourage terrorism against Israelis and promulgate lies about Israel's history, society, and policies. Now, it is a fact that the Vancouver Sun ran that editorial, and it is a fact that independent Jewish voices sent them a libel notice, and Post Media just disappeared that op-ed, which we republished on Canada Lands. So that's something that happened. It is also simply a statement of fact that the B'nai B'rith published an online post when writing about Sue Ann Levy's book, of all things, they described Rabble.ca, the left-leaning web network uh, founded by Judy Rebick, Rabble.ca, described them as racist, white supremacist, and anti-Semitic, which they later removed and which they did acknowledge, unlike Post Media, they, they issued a tweet saying that that's removed because it was not accurate. It is also a statement of fact that in a couple of dozen news reports about the Green Party voting to support BDS that we reviewed, we couldn't find anybody quoted who supported that motion. These news reports quoted the members of the Green Party who were against BDS, quoted Elizabeth May, who didn't want that motion passed. And then some of them even led, the CBC, I believe, led with a headline saying, Jewish groups decry the Green Party for adopting this motion. But the voice within that party that actually wanted BDS adopted, the press wouldn't even quote them. Uh, I don't know if I can say that exhaustively, but we've looked and looked and looked and we couldn't find a news report that quoted them. So I am now in a position of having to talk about on this show how the Canadian media is handling this most recent flare-up. And if you're hearing pain in my voice, it is not because I fear controversy. It's not because I'm afraid of this topic. It is just because there is no way to even start to broach this that doesn't end up sounding like this. 
Israel ended its occupation completely in 2005. That's untrue. And between that's 2005 untrue. and 2007. That's, 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 that's disingenuous. Let me get into the Haggadah. I don't disagree. I'm just curious to know why you're defending Israel so much. Israel maintained control over the airspace. This is a distinction without a difference. Let's look at what the Palestinian Arabs have. Have you ever heard a conversation about Israel-Palestine end with somebody saying, oh, you really made me think about that. Thanks very much. I think we've really, uh, we've really progressed. You really helped my understanding you, of this. You've showed me your side, and now hopefully you've heard my side, and we can come somewhere in the middle. Yeah, yeah that was no. food for thought. Thank yeah. you for this uh, enlightening. No, it never goes. Yeah. You guys, you guys, that episode you guys did recently. I think you referred to it as a train wreck. Yeah. Oh, it went yeah. way off the rails. Yeah. yeah, no, it did, as, as things involving you know this situation often do. What I will say is that it is abhorrent that the media couldn't find at least one person to quote. I'm sure people were readily available to quote that voted in favor of the BDS motion and would like to have spoken to media and given their reasons for it. But I also get why Elizabeth May was the central person being quoted and why the story was centering around her because she is the leader. Um, oh, and, and that conflict is of incredible news value. But you, you, you yeah. just can't report that and not quote. Totally. Like, you're just not yeah. doing your job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and so that, I think, is definitely room for griping, uh, if not, le- you know, completely legitimate. I just don't know how this factors into a larger conversation about the Canadian media. Because the thing is, is that it goes very quickly from the media is reticent to criticize Israel to Jews control the media. Oh, yeah. There's a very, you know what I mean? And, and I find even in just talking to normal, rational, educated people, all of a sudden, that's where it automatically goes to very, very quickly. Right. So the age old propaganda, anti-Semitic libel that Jews control the media, a narrative that the B'nai B'rith and post media are doing wonders yeah. for <laughs> by just like printing these crazy falsehoods about their ideological opponents Mm -hmm. and then like disappearing the editorial when challenged. To be fair though, doesn't post media often disappear editorials when (laughs) challenged? Like, isn't that kind of a standard operating procedure on their part? I think post media at this point is just like, Oh God, not another lawsuit. We have not been winning them. We can't afford to fight them. Just, just take it down. Cause you can't lose if you take it down. So they just took it down. Look, I know why within communities that are feeling very threatened within Jewish communities when they say, why are you singling Israel out? And when they say, well, this is anti-Semitic and, and this big thing, this distinction, can you be critical of Israel like, like uh, without being, an, of course you can be critical of Israel without being anti-Semitic, but everyone just talks past each other because there is no synthesis of ideas because in the minds of the people who are most passionate about this, it is a war. It is two sides that cannot be reconciled. And to a certain kind of of hawk on the pro-Israel side of this, there is no question that those who are singling Israel out out of all of the human rights cases in the world, that the ultimate goal of those people is to delegitimize Israel and forget about can we have a conversation where we end and say, oh, thank you for that great conversation. Forget about even who cares like if Canada were to actually work it out and we all settled our opinions and had a synthesis about where we all stand on Canada and everybody in Canada agreed. It wouldn't make a lick of difference to the actual intractable issue. And why I am so hesitant to get involved in this is because I often just think that it's a proxy war for both sides to bat each other about the head, about other issues, about American imperialism for some people. but Military industrial complex. Yeah, yeah. that that on one's. And and then for some people, it is a way of expressing anti-Semitism 
not all. And for some, they don't even realize that a lot of the stuff that they're arguing ultimately leads. I don't think they're anti-Semites, but it might lead to an anti-Semitic place. If ultimately where your argument leads you is that there shouldn't be an Israel, that is against Jewish people who live in Israel. And by definition, you are actually fighting for an anti-Semitic cause, though you might not have any problem with Jews yourself. I'm a person who believes in talking about everything. I believe that that's how you start. And I don't believe that we're going to make a bit of difference or that there's any point. I'm a total nihilist on on this. Like the Canadian discourse about Israel, Palestine to me is just pointless. Oh, I'm in a rare moment in total agreement with you, Jesse. Uh, I always thought it was like a thing that happened at like really boring university parties where it was like all these kids would like be in a room yelling at each other about Israel, Palestine. And it was like kids who'd literally never left their hometown all of a sudden had really strong feelings about, you know, the situation in the Middle East. And I was like, oh, well, when I'm a grown up, people will have reasonable conversations about this. And what I'm finding (laughs) out is like, oh, no, like never bring it up. Just don't talk about it. No, we can't have reasonable conversations because this thing has all this like this. Everyone has all these outsized feelings about it. And I just, I, I still, I'm like the level of like, don't, I don't understand why. I don't actually actively understand why, especially for a lot of people who won't go there. Like, have you ever met a kid who's never left Kelowna, BC, feel some way about, you know, Israel, Palestine? That's so annoying. Yeah. I mean, I, I actually do have people I love in my life who live in Israel who I care about this because they've been near violence. They have been implicated by violence. They've been around violence. I care in a different way than with most issues. And I know that they'll never be safe until Palestinian people are free and safe themselves. And and that dictates, like, I don't want to talk up to anyone about this who doesn't actually care about the lives of everyone involved. And the only place where I've had interesting and nuanced conversations, strangely, is... With Israelis. With the, Israelis! Yeah, same. And with Palestinians. Yeah, same. People that are actually living the, that are living it day to day. Yeah. Yeah. The only result of me having these debates in this context is that people end up just like, I'm going to get mail no matter what I say about this. People are going to feel estranged. It's an emotional thing for people who are not implicated. And unless you care about the lives of the people involved, I don't want to have that conversation with you. And a lot of it's really annoying because they throw all this sort of like quasi-violent language about like, don't you care about dead babies here and there? And it's like... Well, if you really felt that way, you'd have an opinion on North Sudan versus South Sudan. You'd have an opinion on all these various conflicts that are happening where these same questions are present. People don't. They want to have this one argument and that's it. Vicky Supriya. Aren't you glad that this is the episode that you joined me for? Indeed. We love this stuff. That's why we host a political show. My email is jesse at canadalenshow.com. My email is supriya at <laughs> canadalenshow.com. And mine is vicky at canadalenshow.com. That was offered, by the way. I did not demand that they do that. Uh, I think that we will read everything that you send us, and I will respond when I can. We are on Twitter at canadaland. The website is canadalandshow.com. Our Patreon site, where our crowdfunding takes place, is patreon.com slash CanadaLand. Guys, Commons has an episode coming up on Tuesday? Yes, we do. You should listen to it. Commons has been excellent lately, train wrecks included. The Imposters' most recent episode came out yesterday. Check it out. I make this show with Kevin Sexton. Syndication of CanadaLand to community and campus radio across this country. 28 stations. We offer it for free. That is taken care of by Russell Gregg. If you like what we do, please support us.